0: Everyone who has been a guest on this podcast is someone I'm either friends with and or admire and respect. I've kept this standard for all 140 episodes so far. Occasionally, there's the marquee guest whose appeal stretches out and brings this podcast welcomed exposure like Duff McKagan, Henry Rollins. Most are respected musicians, comedians who have a reputable CV and cred that stretches for days. Often I'm nervous before a podcast begins. The guest is someone who I'm excited to have on and curious to find out where our discussion will take us. But I don't think I have ever been as nervous as I was on this next episode. This is my talk with Mal Sharp, the famed man on the street, and one half of the legendary comedic prank duo, Coyle and Sharp. To me... In my world, on my personal list of luminaries, Mal Sharp ranks very, very, very high. Here is a man who helped pioneer the public prank or put on. Andy Kaufman, David Letterman, Howard Stern, Jackass, Sasha Baron Cohen, Nardwar the Human Serviette, MTV's punk They all took and were inspired by, whether they realize it or not, Coil and Sharp. For listeners who are unfamiliar with the duo, I'll explain here. And I'm also going to do something I've never really done before, which is play bits of the guest's work during the podcast. This is on Mal's request, and it makes perfect sense to me. This puts the discussion I had with Mal into context and will be able to hold everyone's attention. Because believe me, Coil and Sharp were so funny. I guarantee you, if you just hang on to the bits... You will be busting a gut, laughing your ass off. So Coyle and Sharp were a comedy duo that took to the streets and posed insane, surreal, fantastical situations, questions, and theories to random everyday people of San Francisco between 1961 and 1965, They recorded all these conversations and managed to put out two albums out on Warner Brothers, The Absurd imposters in 1963, and The Insane But Hilarious Minds of Coyle and Sharp in 1964. They moved to Los Angeles in 1965 to film a pilot TV show for ABC, but the pilot was never picked up, and the duo broke up shortly after. In the time since their legend has grown and their fans, although few, are rabid, and I count myself as one of them. In the mid to late 90s, Mal Sharp released two new Coil & Sharp compilations of recordings, On the Loose on Henry Rollins's 213.61 record label in 1995, and Audio Visionaries: Street Pranks and Put-Ons on the Thirsty Ear record label in 1999. These were more impromptu discussions out on the street with random people called from over 100 hours of recordings, and a new generation got exposed to Coil and Sharp. My history with Coil and Sharp, in the most appropriate way, works backwards. I discovered Mal Sharp first on Dick Clark and Ed McMahon's TVs, bloopers, and practical jokes, and then found his second album on Rhino, The Man on the Street, out of all places, the record peddler in Toronto. I then found his first record, The Meaning of Life. And then when Rollins put out On the Loose, the world of Coil and Sharp opened up to me. To give you an idea of the material, the duo would approach strangers and ask them if they could drill holes in their heads and perform brain surgery that would turn their heads into ashtrays, piggy banks, cameras. They'd pretend they were werewolves. They would pretend to rent children out. Propose crazy schemes like threeism and polylingua, vocal projection, and Sandor Twenty One. It was fucking insane, and it was brilliant. There are a lot of funny people out there today, but I don't really see too many people doing bits like their the Coil and Sharp edges bit or their eating people at a death ritual bit. And to think they did this between 1961 and 1965, it is fucking mind blowing. It, it's genius. Jim Coyle passed away in 1992, but Mal Sharp is still living here in San Francisco playing jazz in his big money and jazz outfit. He released a Coil and Sharp box set in 2006 on his Sharp World label, and between 2007 and 2010, there was a Coyle and Sharp podcast that called from released and unreleased bits that went on for 100 episodes and can still be download and, downloaded and listened to on iTunes. Listen to this, please. This is me talking to a legend. Rarely do I get this close to real historic legends on the podcast, but I did it on this episode. Like I mentioned at the top, I was real nervous to talk to Mal. Our conversation even started rough when I swear I thought I wasn't recording. Anyways, we both got back on the saddle and I I just can't believe I got to talk to Mal Sharp. Please look past how fanboyish I got with him. But really, there will never be another Coil and Sharp. And when you realize this, you can't help but be in awe when you talk to Mal. And since we've uploaded this episode on Christmas Eve, I offer this episode as my Christmas gift to all of you for hanging around and listening to the podcast all this throughout the whole year and for the last five and a half years. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. I will see you in the new year with more episodes. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like always, this podcast is supported by Blue Mic Microphones and Skullcandy Headphones. Please leave a rating and or a review on iTunes because it really does help the podcast's profile. It works because our we were recently featured on iTunes in their What's Hot section. Anyways, okay. Mal Sharp. Is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast? And it starts now. Merry Christmas! Podcasts are my life, I listen all the time. If I had to choose, I'd choose one all the time. This one is so grand, I know you.
1: Tango Jones Podcast You motherfuckers It's fucking great It fucking slays Thank you for listening to the Tango Jones Podcast You motherfuckers I got to know Danko a few years ago when I used my vacation time to follow the band on the road. And I even spent a day with Danko in some European town that escapes me. But we ended up talking about 17th century art, his pet rock collection, the summers he spent as a teenage air traffic controller, his venomous snake collection, his passion for planking, and the night he spent with Ringo Starr's housekeeper. He's a fascinating character with a wealth of stories to share. And I'm a huge fan of Danko, but a bigger fan of his stories.
0: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: boys and girls, get ready, because the Danko Jones Podcast starts
3: I just want to say I'm I'm a little nervous talking to you because I'm a huge fan. Uh, I get figure that out for my emails and <laughs>
4: yeah, <right. laughs> a bit don't worry about it. Thank
3: Okay. Um,
4: nervous about talking to me. It's the last well, thing you have to do. I've,
3: I've heard your voice in the most fantastical ways for years. So <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit surreal, but, um, the way I found out about you, I just wanted to tell you is backwards. And I guess in a perfect coil and sharp way, um, I, I discovered you on TV bloopers and practical jokes. Um, oh, yeah. you doing the Dick Clark and uh, Ed McMahon show as the man on the street. And then I found your uh, 1984 album in a record store, and I bought that. And then I found Meaning of Life. And then in the earlier mid-'90s, Henry Rollins put out the Coil and Sharp CD on the loose, and, and then, then I back was back a long way. Yeah, and then I was looking at the photo and I'm like, that looks like the guy the man on the street. <laughs> and so I worked my way completely backwards to discover just who you were and Corlin Sharp and everything. And um now of course I've worked my way forwards and um it wasn't until that on the loose CD that I kind of patched everything together and then when I heard on the loose, um I couldn't believe that this was done in the early '60s. So, my question, I guess, I have a million of them, and I know you guys, <laughs> i know we don't have a million years to to talk about it. But how how did you um, how did you guys patch this idea of going out into the streets? And, and I understand in the early '60s it, it was just a different world, uh, a more trusting world. But how did this all come about?
4: Well, I met Jim Coyle in this uh, sort of boarding house in San Francisco. And he liked to put people on. I mean, he was a pretty strange guy. I don't know, one night he was sitting at the table with these three girls and he was telling them, I didn't even know him, you know, I was just sitting there, that he somehow was in some experiment where he would go out to the headlands in San Francisco and lie on rocks. And they would uh transmute his age or something, and that actually he was he was a Spanish civil War veteran, but he looked much younger now since he'd been in this project, and the girls were just agape at the whole thing, you know what i mean and i'm I was like, "Who is this guy you know? <laughs> and uh so I walked up, he had a room actually near me, and I went inside and it was filled with. You know, LPs, Bruckner and Mahler, and all this other sort of stuff. And I said, What are you doing down there? And he just started laughing and told me he just likes to put people on. So uh, that's the expression we use then. Is that the expression we use now? Put people on?
3: Yeah. I am most. Yeah, punk, I would say, is the more modern version.
4: Yeah, the more modern version.
3: Put on. Um, I, I prefer put on.
4: Yeah. So uh, I started hanging out with him, and, you know, he would dress up as a priest. He looked, he was very Irish looking, and we'd get into movies free. I'd be his, like, attendant or something like that, and I don't know. We just started walking around, and he couldn't help himself. No matter what he did, he would get involved in something. So we decided. Uh, we both moved to New York for different reasons, but we decided in New York, after hanging around McDougall Street, and uh, we used to call it then terrorizing tourists, but that's a bad term, too.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah to, with today, yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah, it's changed, you know. Uh, anyway, you know, we try and sell them toasters and things like that on the street. It's just bad, you know. We decided to go back to San Francisco and see if we somehow could make some kind of living doing this. So we went back to San Francisco and got a miniature tape recorder and uh, went out with it in a little leather briefcase and started. Putting punking people, what is that? whatever word you want to use, right? Yeah, putting people on, and uh, and that's how it all started. We had no idea what we were really going to do with any of this stuff. We just started collecting it.
3: So, I mean, it was it was it was Coyle who who brought you into the world, his world of the con, so to speak.
4: Yeah, definitely. I I don't even know what attracted me to it, but. Um, at the beginning, because I had gone to Boston University School of Communications, I know how to turn a tape recorder on and off. <laughs> right. Uh, not a digital recorder, a tape recorder. So I really just went with him, held the briefcase, and turned the thing off, on and off and slowly started to kind of get engaged with him as his partner in these endeavors. And uh, so that's, you know... One thing led to another,
5: and here we are. Do you think that uh, new techniques in the film are making Hollywood films better? Yes, I do, actually. Do you feel
2: that a new technique of vocal projection could conceivably meet with an open mind on the part of the public? Well, with a view to myself, I'm in favor of any new techniques, see how they do, and then judge them after they come out.
5: Can we give you an example of it now just to get your reaction to it? If it's quick. Okay, (laughs) fine. We'll be
2: very quick. Here we go. This is a scene. I'm a detective. This gentleman is some type of criminal who has a weapon. You you got that gun. Give me the gun. Gun, Give me the gun. You can have the gun. I won't give you the gun. Give me the gun. Gun, gun. I want that gun. I want that gun. Give it to me. Give it now, now, now. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I want that gun, gun,
5: gun, 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 gun. Give me the gun. Could you try now, with ourselves, to speak in this manner, and then we'd like to ask it's your very, opinion? very, much doubt. It. Let <laughs> me just
2: show you that you can. Simply ask us the time. Simply say, would you give me the time? Just well, quickly.
6: problem with giving you the time is I mean, there, there's no deep emotions involved. Do you in want to take
5: something that. more emotional? I mean, would you oh, like to well, take part in, the? De- well, let's we'll, say, the detective scene again, where you would oh, say. Uh, Lee, Stay away from the gun. Stay away from the gun. Would you feel that more intensely?
2: I, I'm just saying, uh, I, I, you could do it under that circumstance. Yeah. I'm saying,
5: saying the time. I mean, I'm just saying that there would have very little real meaning to it. There. All right. Let's do it this time. You're an associate of Mr. Coyle here, uh, but you're telling him to stay away from the gun, and I have the gun, right?
2: Yeah. Okay. Your your role is stay away from that gun. Stay away. Don't get near the gun. Don't get near the gun. Okay. Okay.
5: All okay. Right. Give me the gun! Give stay me the gun! The gun. You, the you gun. can't have the gun! See you, see see. You, can't see see. you can't have wait. the gun! Stay, stay away! Stay away! Stay away! Stay away! Stay away! Give me give me me away. Stay, stay. stay, stay away! 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 Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! you! are welcome! You're welcome! Thank you!
3: The thing that makes these bits so classic and they they stand up today and they can like make anyone laugh, whereas if you hear some. You know, some you know comedy that's maybe a decade old or two decades old—it just doesn't stand up. Um, these bits were just so cerebral, and they just came from left field, and they were well thought out. What is the process of these bits between the two of you? How did you guys come up with some of these crazy ideas?
4: This is a very valuable lesson to me. Uh, We would get together every day before we went out on the street. We'd meet in a coffee shop in San Francisco's North Beach, maybe. And uh, we had a big manila envelope that had the releases in it. We had to get releases from people. And on the back of that manila envelope, we would sit there and just kind of come up with premises, you know? Like I'd look out the street and see a a telephone pole, and I'd say, uh, okay, you know, be a human telephone pole, okay? We'd write that down as an idea, you know. You know, would you be a human telephone pole? Um, uh, Maybe there'd be a travel poster of uh, Venice, Italy or something like that. And um, we, you know, have a premise of uh, can we trade your brain for the brain of a person who lives in Venice, Italy? Right. Uh, You know, and they'd go, well, why Venice, Italy? (laughs) And we were off. But we definitely had a whole list of these things every day and some of them would work and some of them wouldn't or some of them we'd fall into a situation where when it hadn't worked earlier, it was just perfect, you know, we'd walk into a drugstore or something like that and try
3: right. operating
4: operating equipment because um, <laughs> Jim was going to operate on me. So, uh, you know, we just, we were thoroughly prepared, and this really helped me out through the rest of my career. I mean, to sit down and prepare before you go out and not think of this thing as, uh, you know, just, we would ad-lib sometimes, you know, or, uh, you know, often. But, you know, being prepared and having a bunch of things, so you start, you started out the day with something to, uh, grab onto with before you went out on the street and i've i've had to use that you know that same thing i call it premiseizing the years doing radio commercials and you know just write down every idea i can think of you know for the product um so that's how that's how they sort of happened you know one when, when you know they just got triggered off by something we're looking at or something that was in the paper
3: was there um so for example you take an idea like i don't know the first thing that comes to my mind three isms and um would you would you approach maybe you know it sounds amazing on the album but were there like four different takes with four different people that just didn't cut it and you chose the best one or
4: uh no i think that's the only one we ever did of that one that particular one you know there's a lot of that um there's a lot of that new age stuff, you know, was starting to develop here in San Francisco.
3: <laughs> right, right, so, of course. So
4: freeism was a new, a new concept that
3: <laughs> right. we would
4: get on the bus with this guy and there'd be three of us and <laughs> yeah. he would now be living in freeism and, and uh, you know, and the feeling of being on the bus, you know, with all these other people.
3: Um, the best part right, of that okay. bit is when Jim Coyle uh, is trying to convince him. And the way his voice sounds, it sounds like it's a convincing voice, but what's coming out of his mouth is, is an even worse uh, uh, premise for the, for the victim. You know, we want you to, we want you to leave your life now. Of course we want you to make that decision now. <laughs> He's Trying to convince them in the worst way possible. I thought that yeah, those are the go. moments that, Make me yeah, let us crack come out. back
4: with you right now to your rooming house or, you know, to your apartment and we will start to live as three, you know. <laughs> Excuse me,
2: can we take a moment of your time? Really? What we'd like to do is acquaint you with the concept of threeism. are you familiar with this? Pardon me? Threeism. ism Three-ism? No, I'm not. Three people get together and merge your identity as one. Would you ever consider giving up your identity as an individual to be a third of one person?
5: Is this a religious, religious concept? No, no, it's just a spiritual uh, idea spiritual. that we have conceived with some other people. Uh, I'd have to know more about it. We give you a demonstration of Threeism. Uh, right now? Yes. Well, I'm kind of in a hurry. I have an appointment at 7 o'clock, and I haven't eaten yet. Could we accompany you to your meal and show you how Threeism will work? We will help you make the selection of your food.
2: There is nothing we will do that will not be a unit decision. Wait now, that's two against one for me eating at my place. The dinner's right.
5: ready. We're all to dinner at my place? Yes, we all could right. eat dinner at your home.
2: And can I ask you, what are we having for dinner? I don't know yet. And how will you introduce us to whoever else is in the house? Well, how am I supposed to introduce us? How would you introduce us? Yeah, these are two thirds of my personality. Would you do it on a permanent basis? Well, for the rest of my life? Right, exactly. We're asking you to make that decision now you you asking me to make the decision right
5: now? Yes. Well, I kind of I decline. No, no, no. There are three of us right now. If we could stay together, it would be so much better. Let us go away as one.
2: Now. No more personal decisions on your on your own part.
5: Hey, what's I'm wrong why you walking away? I I'd mine. You're walking away. No. away. Why you walked I away? What did you say but we were? I don't want to be a three us. You said we're out of our minds. You and, did. you know, it's
2: just because you don't understand a concept you've ever been exposed to. What are you uh, doing?
5: Getting an officer? No, I'm looking for the bus. Let's go on the what bus together. What are we together. trying to railroad you into? I don't tell know. us.
2: That's your concept. A better life. You're turning down an opportunity for threeism. You are in our destiny. You are, I, who you told are, you
5: that? You are the tertiary it's person, saying, the it's triad. It's an
2: awareness. It's an awareness of the meaning and the destiny of 3 Who thought up this threeism? We, we did. did. When did this begin? Last week. We'll tell you honestly. It came to us and we accept it.
5: Here's my, my bus. All right, we're going with you. May we go with you? We haven't eaten. <laughs> we haven't eaten in a long time. Neither have I. Now we're getting on the bus with the gentleman. Are you going to play the faster? I got 15 cents. Now we're walking down the aisle of the bus with the triad person. Could we stand together as a
2: triad here in the bus? I'm tired. <laughs> now, isn't this isn't this the first example of threeism? Right. Suddenly, instead of yourself alone getting on the bus, there were three of us on the bus, right? <laughs>
5: isn't that, that
2: true? That's true. And we're riding to your home. Yeah. What bus is this? Six Masonic. And it is it so bad? Is it so bad? Well, there's a lot of people on the bus, but there's three of us together on the bus. This guy's as close to me as
5: you are. He didn't speak with us. We haven't chosen him as a threeist. Oh. You've chosen me. You have come into our destiny, and you shall remain as thus forth, henceforth from the sixth Masonic bus to your home, and forevermore you shall be with us. Is that not true? Answerest thou to thy triad companions waiting for thy answer? No. Can we tell
2: you
3: something?
5: Yeah.
2: This is a joke. <laughs> <laughs>
3: In 2007, you guys started a, a podcast, and there was, like I've heard, there's like a hundred hours of this stuff, and I guess this you're taking from this treasure trove of a hundred hours and posting it online. Um, there's ideas on there yeah. that I just it blew me away, like uh, edges, that kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> that stuff, someone I else. mean. Yeah, someone else mentioned
4: that lately. I can't remember edges. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's so absurd and surreal. It's I just don't think most... Uh, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the audience nowadays is more sophisticated now and caught up that they would find that incredibly hilarious. Um, but Well,
4: one thing I've sort of noticed with the material, even though we did it like in 1963, uh and the people... Sort of has a dated way of speaking, you know. there There, yes. it's, a, it's a kind of archaeology of voices, you know. Yes. There's a there's a different attitude and everything like that. But there's also, I find in the sequences a tremendous immediacy. You know, it really doesn't sound doesn't sound old to me. You know, at this point, of course, it's my work, but it mm-hmm. seems something engaging. Uh, you know, still in those premises. Well,
3: I think it's the, those ideas were just so cutting edge for then and for now. Um, and that's something I wanted to ask you about. Well, not ask you, but just kind of mention it. If you have observed this yourself, the, the people you approached on the Coil and Sharp stuff in the early 60s, the public changes. Like after JFK, after the Vietnam War, you hear the change on your solo albums where the people are more guarded more jaded, a little angrier. Um it's it's quite an interesting look um at juxtaposition of of, of just american people, off, just everyday people.
4: I don't think that I don't know if the, you know, I don't know if I agree with you. I I of course I I wasn't with Jim then. Uh yeah. and it was sort of a different kind of thing when I was on my own. But uh no, it was still pretty much still a relatively tame man-on-the-street thing, you know. I think later when there were a lot of these uh, kind of things on the street, different shows doing things with, uh, you know, man-on-the-street kind of interviews, other people doing them, so people got really hip, and they, as soon as you propose some kind of crazy thing, they say, where's the camera,
3: right. you
4: know, when the media was yeah. so you know obvious yeah uh and then they were also very paranoid you know i mean if you if you said something to, to them that uh that kind of um threatened a little bit of uh insecurity in them you know yeah they'd get really nervous you know if i said something like you know we uh you know we want to rob a bank and we want you to go inside and get the money. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we'd be outside. This is just for a film, and we're going to quit filming all this, and you know, that sort of thing. <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: You know, if you did something that, you know, that now, or first of all, people just think, you know, everybody's got a gun. <laughs> yep. And,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know, uh, and uh, that's, it, that's when it started to get harder to do. You know, people were just more skeptical. And, uh, you know, the media kind of caused that in a way. Because we were pretty unusual, you know, two guys standing out in the street in 1963 with a tape recorder. Yeah. You know, a lot of people hadn't seen that. And they were a little in awe of it, too, back then. And they sort of respected the uh, the journalists from the radio station.
3: Right, know. yeah. Yeah, you commanded a lot more respect than, than yeah. how they're looked on today, yeah.
4: Yeah, today, you know, they're ready to, you know, moon you in 30 seconds to get on television.
3: (laughs) Yeah, right, right.
4: Am I going to be on? Yeah, what do you want, you know? And also, you know, because they know it's for television or radio, they try and turn on. And, you know, try and turn on and be clever. And that's always a tough thing to deal with because you don't want them to be canned, you know. You want them to have Mm -hmm. fresh ideas. So a lot of things became harder.
3: Wanting to be in the spotlight and, and be be kind of a star for a few minutes.
4: Yeah, you hearken everybody on. That, is, everybody's but, David Letterman now, you know. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I so you
3: hearken on that on uh, uh, like there's that one bit I remember on the Coil and Sharp recordings where you're you're describing this job that you want this guy to work in, and it's a living hell with wolverines and maniacs, and he's all for it, and it's kind of you know, it, it kind of led with what we have now, like people willing to do anything, fear factor, and people willing to do anything just so they can be on TV and maybe make a quick buck.
4: Yeah, yeah, or become a celebrity. Be Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the thing we did with Living Hell, you got to remember, too, we never really tried to push this, but we were often, I think we called it a job opportunity. I the right. job opportunities right. and you'd right. go down in this shed uh below yeah. San Francisco, and there'd be a piranha <laughs> fish and moats you know right. and you'd have to swim through and we'd give you an armband that say you were a non-combatant because the animals and the fish were fighting with each other, and there were hawks in the air and and uh um, you know it
5: just it was just kind of fantastical. This is Mal Sharp with another in the series Job Opportunities. Every day I bring an employer out onto the street and have him offer a San Franciscan, an interesting and novel job. Now, I have James P. Coyle with me, our employer of the day, and I've just stopped a young man who are going to offer a job to.
2: I am James P. Coyle, and I'm very glad to meet you. you. The nature of the job is it's a little unusual. Just like anything else, there are certain risks entailed in it. You would be working down in a pit uh, in which I have created uh, through scientific endeavor. I have created intense flame. People throw objects in the flaming pit. You go through. You pick them up. Uh, they name the object. You pick them up. And uh, I charge them admission.
6: Yeah, I, I think I'd be interested. It's something new and exciting. You know, and I lack excitement.
2: The reason I ask, I had an employee before, and I will tell you this directly and honestly. Uh, he was a little careless and incautious. I gave him specific instructions. And he perished. Now, I want you to understand this before we
5: get any further.
6: He did perish. I understand. Well, mistakes can happen sometimes.
5: Now, as I understand it, the death index on this job, they give us a death index, is about 98%. In other words, if you took this job, the chance of your actual perishing would be 98% in favor of your perishing.
6: It's a chance.
2: I like to take chances. What we're trying to do really is to create a living hell. have people pay admission, they look down in the pit, they see you down there, the flames are all around you,
6: there will be four maniacs with you, and you've got to control them. Now, wait a minute, I understand that you said four maniacs? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you mean I got to tell them what to do or try to keep them together or something like that? Yes,
2: exactly. Control them and see that they don't interfere with you, because they
6: will. That's what they're going to try and do.
2: Uh Uh-huh. They're fully costumed, they're fully protected, and they're going to be attacking you, and uh, this is part of the attraction.
6: Oh, I see. It sounds very interesting.
5: Have you worked with maniacs before?
6: No, never. Have
5: you worked with flame before?
6: No, not necessarily.
5: One other uh, aspect, large bats fly through the air. You've seen bats, haven't you? These are very large bats with, uh, I might say, extremely large teeth from the photo I saw. They'll be swooping down over your head. Would the bats at all deter you from doing your job?
6: No, I don't think so. If I had a job to do, I'd try to do it regardless of the bats or anybody else. Now,
2: I am, I'll explain the situation to start with. I want to be sure you can handle a job. I am paying $46 a week uh, initially. Uh, Is this agreeable?
6: Sounds okay.
2: And I am offering uh, not only the $46, but during the 12 hours that you'll be down in the pit every day, I will provide nourishment to you. In other words, I will provide one meal during that 12-hour period. Will that be satisfactory?
5: Sounds okay. Have you ever consumed bats?
2: No, I haven't. Would you look forward to the idea of actually consuming uh, bats? Eating what?
6: Yes. Uh, I guess so.
5: In other words, your lunch. You go down and open up your little brown paper bag that Mr. Coyle had prepared, and inside there there would be a bat, and then you would just prepare it down in the flames.
6: Oh, I had to cook it myself? Yeah. Oh, Oh, no. Why? Oh, no, I... Well, I could, if you could cook it for me, I wouldn't mind eating it, but you cook know, what? a bat. Yeah, but as long as I didn't see it cooking, you know, I think I could
5: devour it. Have you ever had any experience with snakes, large snakes? No. See, the bats, uh, the bats actually, they're foes down in this pit. The reason why the bats are there is because there are snakes in the pit. Uh-huh. The bats attack the snakes. And the snakes will be curling around your feet as you're trying to handle the maniacs.
6: Yeah, I'm now, not scared of snakes, though. What? I'm not scared of snakes.
2: Are you at all, and be honest, are you at all afraid of the maniacs? No, not really. What are you going to do with them if they start attacking you? Fight them off. And this is what the people pay for. Uh-huh. The people who are looking down in the pit pay to see you surrounded by flames uh-huh. picking up objects that they throw down to you you're, you'll be attacked by the maniacs and the bats. The snakes will be crawling at your feet. This, you understand, this is what the people pay for.
6: Yeah. Well, if they pay to see it, uh, give me their money's worth. Now, do you,
2: uh, what I'd like to know is that you fully understand the job. Can you, in your own way, recapitulate what I've told you about the job so that we know that you do have an understanding of it?
6: Yeah, Seems to me, you want me to uh, work in uh, some kind of a pit As you say, you're trying to develop a living hell. And uh, in this pit, I'll wear some sort of a uniform, and it'll be a lot of flames. And uh, I have to work with uh, maniacs and watch out for bats flying around. And uh, I'll get one meal a day. I'll be in there for 12 hours, and I'll have to eat a bat.
5: And you will take the position.
6: (laughs) Yeah, i I like to try it.
3: Now, with all these ideas, and, and you mentioned, you know, you can't get away with it now, was there any time that you and uh, Jim Coyle did get in trouble, whether it's with, you know, the police or with, uh, like, people you approached or did they turn the prank around on you guys? Like, I'm sure there must have been a few incidents.
4: Yeah, well, when we signed up with uh, Warner Brothers Records, we were quite excited about that, the mm-hmm. first record. And um, they told us that because we were joining Warner Brothers, we'd have to take a medical, a little medical exam. And that Dr. Cohen would be here in a few minutes. And a few minutes, we were just sitting alone in this room. A few minutes later, Dr. Cohen came in and he had a little, you know, doctor's bag. And he took out this glass and he said, uh, just go down to the restroom here and give me a sample. You know, he gave it to me. And I walked down the hall to the restroom, you know, and peed in this glass, you know. But then I was kind of bootlegged when I walked back because all the secretaries were sitting along there. <laughs> you know, you can't go walking down the a, a thing with a you know glass of urine in your hand. and so I sort of bootlegged it back there. And then Coyle gave his specimen. And, um, and we would see. He says, uh, you know, I'll analyze it and I'll be right back. And two minutes later, they opened the door, and the whole staff of Warner Brothers Records was out there, double over laughing. They all had known what was going on. Oh and wow! It was kind of funny how we tried to, you know, hide the specimens and that sort of thing. So we did really? get taken in.
3: Right, right. Wow. Know. That's yeah, amazing. So.
4: Yeah, it was a good one.
3: Oh, that's cool. That that I mean, whoever thought that up, man.
4: Yeah, they said they spent hours. Working on it, you know, trying to figure something, to get us, you know, and they got us big time. I mean, we were so excited to be there, you
5: know. Well, we're Warner Brothers. We have health insurance, right? Can we have your name, please? Uh, Stan Wincek of Santa Barbara.
2: Of Santa Barbara, California. Yes, Stan. Sir. Do you listen to radio jingles at any time? Yes, I do. We at KGO have devised a new radio jingle. Actually, we've devised a series of several new ones. We're going to give you one today, get your reaction to it. If you like it, maybe we'll go ahead with it, <laughs> uh-huh.
5: OK? OK. OK, fine. Here's the first KGO jingle. K- K- G- 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 oh KGO. O. KGO. K. G. O. KGO. Radio in San Francisco. KGO. No. Why? Be honest. The jingle was too long and it didn't send a message quick enough. It didn't? What what message? Did you get the message that we think it's a lovely city? Yes. Oh, there's no doubt that it is a lovely city. It didn't really send me. And I appreciate good jingles. I like them very much. Can we try another one for you? Yes, if you please. Radio, 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 radio. How did you feel about that one? I like that a little bit better. Why? When people think of San Francisco, they think of atmosphere and, and the uh, warm character of the town. And that was more towards it. Yes, it was. What I, did that express to you? Chinatown is highly dramatized and the, and the whole character city.
2: I've the, been The romance of San Francisco, perhaps. That's, that's a very good uh, choice of adjective. Now can we give you a final uh, jingle and get your reaction to it?
5: Fine. Okay. Could you do this? Could you just hum while we sing our final KGO station break? Okay. All right, you start humming, then we'll start singing. Are you ready? Okay. One, two, three. You hum and we'll... KGO, 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 San
3: Francisco. You mentioned that you had like, whenever you'd approach someone, you'd have like a release form for them to sign. And so is that why, like, there's, like, full disclosure at the beginning of each bit with their name, like, their full first and last name? I always I always thought that was, like, with today, that's quite odd. Like, no one would usually give up both names, you know?
4: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was just a way of loosening people up, you know, getting to uh, uh, size them up a little bit. Yeah, we, we usually ask them their name just to get a feeling and get the conversation rolling. Right. size them right. up, size them what their voice sounded like, and see how they felt in relation to us, whether this was going to be somebody that was easy to talk to. And it was always more personal, too. And, they, you know, they'd say their name. I'm Milton Edwards, you know. And Quill could say, well, Milt, the Japanese scientist, have come up with a way of installing a transistor radio in your head, you know.
3: Right. Um, <laughs>
4: and it was just kind of friendly, you know. And, yeah. And later in the sequence would say, "You promised at the beginning, Milton, that you were going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have volunteered to have the radio put in
3: your head." You know, there's yeah, there's a lot of gags about uh, brain surgery. Yes, yeah. that's, that's one of your trademarks, I, I imagine.
4: Well, we had a piggyback brain. We had a uh, piggy bank. You know, you we, could put like a half a dollar in your head and <laughs> it would multiply. You know, it would multiply until your head got too heavy, and then we would come and empty it out.
3: And then cut the person a percentage only. That was the best part.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll give you a percentage. (laughs) Give you 3%. Um,
3: I was always wondering, where did you get those, those boys to help you with your bits when it came time to do bits on children, which would always shock people? I mean... Well, uh, they, they? Were
4: the, they, were the, they were the sons of uh, uh, some folks who owned a record store. Coyle collected uh, classical music, and he met these kids. And so we brought them out. and, you know, it was always fun to work with kids because people were living, and these kids were kind of lived.
3: Yeah, so they were. We,
4: so when we told someone on the street that these kids want to come and... um Become your children for a week. You know, they want to come to your house. And because of the thinking of starting a rental agency with children and children could be rented out, I mean, it's almost a little too much right now. It's not even
3: yeah, funny. I yeah. guess.
4: You know, but then there was not all this stuff in the air, you know, that's going on
3: now. But I always thought those two kids really played it well. Like they, they, they had, like, it sounded like they kept their poker faces pretty intact.
4: Yeah, they were really good. We want to come and live in your house, and we want to go home with you. You know, we love our parents. That's not the thing, you know. But it would be really interesting to have a, a different life for a week. Please, you know, take us with you right now. And The guy go, well, I got to go back to work. Well, we should just sit in the lobby. <laughs> you know, they had good answers to stuff.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, and I always always noticed like um, a lot of the people who you asked were. No, didn't sound like they were from California. They were not even American a lot of them. Like I was or maybe you just chose those bits. I mean to make it sound No, you know, we
4: we uh I don't know if you know San Francisco, but we worked a lot on Market Street and that ran down to the waterfront and a lot of uh ships would come in, you know, uh and uh with tourists, you know, from England.
3: Yeah. The, and yeah. so
4: we would spot them. We got good at spotting. Then there was a difference in clothes. Now it's all international style. But, uh, you know, we could spot an Englishman with his boxy shoes and his tweedy suit. And we just loved to talk with uh, foreigners because their vocabulary was so different, and um, especially the English people. And they could sound so, you know, you want me to go down into that pit, yeah. you know, and <laughs> swim with the. The piranhas really? You expect you know a human being to do that sort of effort? You know, and so yeah, we we stopped a lot of when we could. We love to stop tourists.
3: One of the best, um, one of the best bits that matched the person, the victim or the the subject's voice with the idea that you guys were trying to come put across was uh, the blotch, because the guy already had this kind of <laughs> this haughty kind of sounding voice. And it just the idea just made it all the more absurd. It was amazing.
4: I can't believe anybody is proposing a situation like this. And then, of course, <laughs> we would always say, a situation like what? <laughs> we'd love to get them to describe it, you know. We're putting a, a blotch on a person, and that would signify they were part of some movement. And uh, you want me to put a blotch on? I mean, it's absolutely absurd. But what's absurd about it? Well, who wants to walk around with a blotch on their head, you
1: know? You're wanting me to pick out of the crowd of the people coming along this street, someone who I think is ideally suited to fit into your community, and then put a mark on his forehead. A blotch? A blotch, yes. Because you want to find out who I think are the ideal, ideally suited people to go along into your community. And then what are we going to do? You're going to look for the blotches. And then we're going to found the community. Yeah. Take the people with the blotches and start new the new community. You, you can't just pick people out of a crowd and say you're going to start a new, new community. And why but, not? Why? Because... Some people, I believe that you, have, you must have the freedom and right to choose whether you're going to live in the place or not. What is unfair about seeing somebody that you think is happy? What why should boy? I think? Why should I be the one who thinks it? Somebody well, no, has what? to do it. I, get, I dare say someone has got to do it, but why should it be just the one person who is not even living in the country?
5: That's the idea. You're not
1: biased. I am biased. In what way? Well, I, I don't know. I know very little about America, but what we hear in, in, in Great Britain doesn't give us a very good impression sure. sometimes. Who founded America? Great Britain, yeah. And hey, you well, I mean, would I mean, be a no new in founder. Sci- inside that time, they have, it, it, the, the people have changed. And we'd like to relo- we respect you, and we'd like to rely on your judgment. What I've been trying to explain to you is that I haven't the time. If I had the time... The time, time to what? Walk along the street and mark people's foreheads with a blush. Right. Look, I haven't got the time. This is what I've been trying to explain to you. If I had the time, if I was here for more than an hour, I would. How many people could you mark in an hour? How many people could you blotch? At least 10 people, right, or 15 people? This would be the nucleus for the new community. Yes, I have no wish to, 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 um, to find a new community on the lines that you're... you're um Trying to explain, I'm afraid. Is that the spirit that your no. people, your no. your ancestors no. showed
5: at Jamestown and showed at Plymouth Rock?
1: You're taking a stand against happiness now, aren't no. you? Now look, you're putting words into my mouth. But isn't that true? are no, no, you taking a stand against, against no, happiness? No, I am not. No, I'm afraid I wasted enough time. Can Why are you I'm running, running away?
5: Why are you racing no, away
1: from because me? Because I haven't got the time. I'm in just in this city for an hour or two. I want to see as much of this city. Please I don't blotch. want to blotch some people for us. No, I for won't.
3: Definitely. No, I Can won't. Ex- th- there's a uh there's a um, a bit off of uh, the uh, the second Colin Sharp album, um, which is the uh, the insane but hilarious mind um, right. about the folk singing hoax. Um, right. What was that live show? It sounds like you guys were performing live, like this isn't Man on the street. Like, what was that?
4: Okay. Yeah, some guy that was working with us from Warner Brothers said, why don't you go down to the Bears Lair? It's a, it's a coffee shop and kind of beer place in, at the University of California right down the street and just do something on stage. Well, that was 63 and 64 was kind of the height of the folk singing craze, you know, Joan Baez and, right. you know, people like that. Yeah. And I hated folk singing. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs>
4: <folks>. <laughs> i was into Louis Armstrong. Right.
3: uh
4: I hated folk singing, and so we decided to um, get this guy to introduce us as Nosh and Palak, two Icelandic uh, folk singers that are going to be recorded for Warner Brothers Records, and they're in San Francisco or Berkeley right now, and uh, they're going to perform for you tonight. You know, and we had these weird suits, Uh, you know, we had, they were just weird, you know, just business suits. Sort of thing, but we look, we made ourselves look kind of awkward, and we spoke with accents. You know, we are in Tealock, and <laughs> we come here. We first we sing the song of the harvest, and uh, now this was in front of an audience. You know, it's a Beersaler. You know, three hundred people that probably love folk singing, <laughs> and uh, then we just started singing in Bugravia, and that was the language we were from. That's it. We were from Bugravia.
3: Bugravia, Sorry, we, yes.
4: Yeah. And an island that became very prominent in a lot of our sequences. We we are gradients, And then we just started singing. We had no idea what we were gonna sing about, you know, Yah, Koli makate Yo Koli makama Yo and we we'd do some little dance on the stage. <laughs> and uh, people's eyes were just bugging out. They hadn't seen anything like this. And uh, they just cheered wildly, you know, for each song we did. We did about three or four songs. And then uh, our friend came back up and he says, i got to tell you, you know, they're really not really not Nose and Paloc, they're going to call them Al Sharp, and, and uh, they're doing a new Warner, Warner Brothers record, and uh, they do, you know. And there's this big groan from the audience, oh, you know. But, <laughs> but it was a very enjoyable thing for us to do, especially me, because I, I love sort of I know this is a little sick, but I love sticking into the, the folk singers. I just, I just didn't like that style of music. You know, the endless verses to uh, Irish sea chanties and things like that.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you make it very clear the kind of music that you like, even on your solo albums. Especially the inclusion of uh, Neil Shawn from uh, Journey. I love that bit. That's the best.
4: Yeah, well, I worked for this radio station here in San Francisco, KMEL, for a year after the Meaning of Life album came out. Right. And uh, so I got to go to all the rock and roll things. I was the oldest one in the station. I think I was 44 then. Mm-hmm. And um, they found it quite amusing. We'd be like riding out to some big concert at the ballpark, and the radio would be on. And they'd say, who's that on the radio right now, Now I said, geez, I don't know. I don't know when. From another one, it's the Rolling Stones,
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know. And uh, no, but anyway.
3: Uh, oh, that's great.
4: So, yeah. So a lot of those things, uh, like you just mentioned, there, there were done while working for a Cameo, the Camel. I
3: I know you don't like folk singing. I know you don't like rock. What was your reaction when Henry Rollins reached out to you to release that? on the loose T V Did you, did you go back and listen to black flag or the Rollins band or any of his, uh, of his bands? No, I
4: thought when this girl called me up and said, you know, Henry Rollins wants to talk to you. I, um, I immediately thought it was a Rollins from Rollins and Jaffe, the uh, producers of a lot of the Woody Allen movies.
3: Oh, you know,
4: really <laughs> I didn't know Henry Rollins. I didn't know. and, <laughs> You know, the girl at the office said, I can't believe this, you don't know what Henry Rollins is. I said, no. So she sent me something. Henry is a great guy, and, and he really encouraged us. And he, like you, he knew a lot of the sequences verbatim and, uh, and uh, you know, could repeat lines back to us that even I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Another one of our big fans was Andy Kaufman. Do you know Andy Kaufman?
3: Oh, of course. And that makes yeah, total yeah. sense. Yeah, that makes
4: Andy. Complete sense. And I liked Andy's stuff, too. You know, the right. idea of he would go on stage. We'd see him in Los Angeles when we lived there. And he would go and he would just start reading some John Steinbeck novel. And <laughs> he would go on for like an hour. And he <laughs> started screaming at him, stop it. All right. Enough for him. Henry just kept and uh you know, uh, so it was really charming, you know, there were all these oddballs out there that liked us.
3: We weren't a big
4: thing. We weren't a big record seller or anything like that.
3: Have you ever heard of a, I'm from Toronto, I'm calling you from Toronto. Have you ever heard of a Canadian named Nardwar, the human serviette?
4: The human serviette?
3: Yes, he's a personality. He's a radio personality. He became a um, a kind of a TV personality. He's in a band. He sings in a band, et cetera, et cetera. But he, I swear to God, he he took from you an uh, ode an ode to you, where he was able to get into a Mattel Gorbachev news conference and uh, he asked him, out of all the world leaders you have met, who has the biggest pants? <laughs> and, and I swear that's just like, what's your favorite fish?
4: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right, right.
3: I I always wondered if you'd heard that.
4: No. What's your favorite fish? Which I asked at the uh, Democratic convention um, when Geraldine Ferraro was nominated, the uh, vice president, I guess, and the crowd went wild, especially the women, women. And I just started walking around. Are you excited about this? And, <laughs> I'm thrilled about it, really. Why? It's a women's moment and everything like that. What's your favorite fish? What? (laughs) (laughs) You know, well, that that, somebody told me that somebody did that bit outside of Parliament in England. You know, I'd occasionally get these things.
3: Right. You know. Well, me being familiar with your albums, when I heard that bit, I was like, why is this familiar? (laughs) Why have I heard, The Biggest Chance is great, and he got, you know, he got a little bit of uh, notoriety and little bit of a write-up in the news, but nobody, nobody referenced you. And I always thought, I mean, I, if I ever see him again, I'll, I'll ask him about that (laughs) date, but it definitely was his name again. Nardwar, the human serviette. That actual moment is on YouTube and I can email you that moment.
4: Okay.
3: I'll email you the clip. Okay. But, uh, thank you so much for this. Um,
4: OK. OK, Danko. Well, thank you very, very much.
3: Thank you, Mal. This has been a pleasure, an honor, a thrill, and it's made my week.
4: <laughs> All right. Well, any time. Good luck on your podcast.
3: Thanks a lot, Mal. OK. Ciao. <laughs> Bye-bye.
5: Excuse us. We have a what we call word trade. We stop people in the street. We exchange a word for something that they are carrying. What is this you have in your hand? It's a kink. Uh, my cohorts at work are going to consume it. Can we trade a word for your cake? Why oh, I you
2: say not. It's an attempt to introduce something that is non-solid into the world of solids, into the world of matter. A word is essentially non-material, right? Yes. The cake has substance and therefore yes. is matter.
7: That doesn't sound right to me at all. Huh? In what way? Well, a uh, cake is something you can it's you can see it and it is there and words are
5: are just vibrations. I mean, you can always Words can change a man's life, can't they? Mm, yes, I would say so. And can the cake really change a man's life? Which has un- had more influence in the history of mankind, words or cake?
7: Well, I say it all depends where the words uh, are placed. Are you
2: opposed to literature? Uh, no, I think it's great. What do you place more emphasis on? Be honest. What do you have more respect for, the ability to communicate or cake?
7: See, the cake uh, isn't all mine. See, and I don't have the right to to exchange it for the words. See, otherwise, I, I might. I don't know. What are know. we?
2: What are we asking you to do?
7: In essence, you're you're saying that words are more valuable than cake, and you're you're saying that you're going to give me the words in exchange for the cake. And uh, even if
2: we were going to give you, oh, a pronoun,
7: uh, the type of the word would would have no value as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what do just. You mean?
2: You would have full use of whatever uh, etymological units we gave you. You realize you would have full use for the remainder of the day. This wouldn't be a restricted usage. I I think
5: I'd have use of it whether you gave it to me or not. not You you, you can't No, uh, not because we we hadn't made the exchange. Let us give you an entire clause. Is this
7: this clause going to be of any uh, significance? I mean, is it going to tell? It's up to you. I don't know. It's up to you how you use it. You say that I'm going to use this clause if you were to give it to me. Is that it?
2: Yes, I mean, and you might use it to your own you value. Do you think it might be some value to me? Probably more value than the cake. We're doing it not to get the cake, or we're doing it to interest people in the yes. value of words. No, I don't think so. Mm. I originally had the word his in mind, which is a pronoun mm. you were going to have use of the entire day. Or we might have given you the word there, mm. the possessive word there.
7: Yeah, well, I, I've already used the word his and there, and I don't think in that respect to you would be actually giving me anything. Then
5: you already owe us the cake.
7: Well, uh, I say it's not my cake. If you want to come down to down to the office, I'm. Uh, Could we really? Can we join
1: you now?